0: Um, and so, uh, again, today, Senior Celebration Youth Sunday, it's, for me as the youth pastor here, it's a joy to be able to, one, share all the things that have been going on um, downstairs on Wednesday nights that we have, um, some of the great things that we have that been going on, and, and just being able to share with you in the celebration of our seniors. Um, and it is, it's one of my favorite Sundays because we get to commemorate, we get to celebrate, um, and send off the students with confidence but it's also one of my least favorite Sundays um, because we have to send them off and they're gone. And, and um, it's a reminder uh, that life, it, it comes with chapters. I, I don't read as much as I used to, but um, when I do read and when I read a book, I like, for me, a good book is a, is a book that has very distinct chapters where each chapter is a different story and each story tells a different story. Um, thing that's happening on, but all of these stories weave together throughout the book to make one narrative of the story that is that book. And in the case of our lives, the same I think is true. There comes times of chapters where we close one chapter and we open the next. And it's hard and it's emotional, but it's exciting because we get to see what's next. And God, in his wisdom and in his power, he weaves these chapters together into the story of our life into the story of, of us becoming who he has designed us to be. And so that, that's kind of why I, I like and dislike this Sunday. Just like when you come to the end of a story, you like it and you dislike it all at the same time because it's over, but you're so glad that you were there for the journey. Um, and that's definitely true here this morning. And um, I want to point out that, that the journey of our lives, the, the lifetime, like, like the skit was saying earlier, People come and go in our lives a lot. Um, I've been here at Valley for three years. And in those three years, I've gotten to know these, these graduates this morning. I've gotten to see just a, a small portion of their story and their history here at Valley. Um, and that's been an exciting opportunity for me. But, but some of you, you go way back past those three years, past four or five years. Um, and so actually, I have a picture that I wanted to show this morning, brought to you um, by Linnell Plath. She, she dug this out and um, got this picture. So this picture, um, I think, is from about 10 years ago. I, I, someone could correct me, but I think this is probably from the second grade Sunday, maybe, or, or is that sooner? I don't know. Linnell, is that right? Second, something like that. It's from a long time ago. They look a little different today. Um, all three of our graduates that were up here this morning, actually here, Rania, Josiah, and Gavin, are all in this picture, so sorry graduates, I have to take one more opportunity to embarrass you a little bit, so um, I don't get that many opportunities. But this is kind of a, it's a fun picture, and also I have a video, I won't show it this morning because it's too long, but I can share it with you if you want, of Christmas 2005, um, <laughs> where several of our graduating seniors were in that, in that video. Again thanks, Linnell, for digging that out. Um, but when I look at this picture, one, I think it's just a fun memory. But, but also, this shows me a long history that the students that were here this morning, that they have here at Valley. Um, see, if this was 10 years ago, I was in middle school at the time. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to be the one handing out the Bibles. I, I, <laughs> I say that partially to make me remind myself that I'm still pretty young. Um, but also to just illustrate the point that, that in the course of someone's life, you need multiple influences, multiple people who are dedicated to pouring into the lives of, of our students in order for them um, as, as a church, in order for us as a church to come alongside the families and encourage them as they grow. Um, and so this was a long time ago. This is before I even knew where Chaska, Minnesota was. I, I probably barely knew much about Minnesota at all. I think I was down in Iowa at the time, probably. So I was not a big fan of Minnesota at the time. Um, but uh, pictures like these are reminders of of a life that is full of chapters and a life that where relationships they come and go Um, you can take the picture down and it it might be too distracting if we leave it up there too long but as relationships they come and go if you were to watch that video that Christmas video um, there's a lot of kids in there that we recognize and it's like oh I recognize you and I remember you and then and then there's a lot of kids, personally, that I didn't get a chance to meet um, because for one reason or another, they are no longer here at Valley. Um, and that happens over the course of life. But as the skit was saying this morning, the one constant, the one thing that has to remain constant in our life is our relationship with Christ. Um, and and we, we here at Valley, we really value the family unit because families are... are they stick together a lot more, but sometimes things happen, and that's hard. And so the one constant in our life is our relationship with Christ. And, and so I always struggle with what to preach on on Graduation Sunday, because I feel like I could preach the same sermon each year, and it would be good. But um, I always want the sermon to, one, be challenging to our graduating seniors, but two, also be challenging to each of us, challenging to me as I preach it. I, I want to be preaching to myself this morning, Um, I want to be preaching to you. This isn't just directed at the graduates. It might have a little bit more of an emphasis on our graduates this morning, but this is for all of us because each of us are in different chapters of our life. We're at different stages of our life, Um, early on or later on in our life. We we are at a different place. We are at a different moment. We're at a different place in our relationship with God. Maybe we're new to our faith, or maybe we have had a life well-lived, dedicated, to following Christ, following his call on our life. And so together, we work together in that, and we encourage one another, and we share one in in this journey together. Um, And so this morning, I want to challenge each of us this morning where we're at. And as I was pondering what to share this morning, I kind of went to an untraditional untraditional passage, uh, which is the passage that Greta read just a, a few moments ago, 2 Corinthians 3. And you can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to stay in that passage um, this morning. But 2 Corinthians 3 isn't exactly a passage you think about on grad Sunday. I don't think it's on anyone's rotation of grad Sunday sermons. Um, So you might have to bear with me a little bit. But as I I was um, preparing for this morning, I kept coming back to this passage. Because it has some truths and some challenges in it regarding our walk. Of faith, regarding our journey of discipleship, of of sanctification, of um, learning about our faith as we grow, it has some challenges that I think I just want to I want to point out to all of us this morning. Um, and so, Second Corinthians chapter three, you should know, um, it's the follow-up to Paul's. I don't, I don't know if it's more famous, but maybe more harsh letter of First Corinthians. Um, First Corinthians, I think, is probably, um, it, it's famous for a number of reasons, but it's also famous because it's one, of, it's one of Paul's harsher rebukes of a church. There were a lot of things going on in the Corinthian church that he had planted, and it wasn't too long after he had planted the church that he had to write a letter correcting them on where they were going astray. Um, and we won't get into all the details of that this morning, but he had to do that. And so 2 Corinthians, as, as, the, as scholars will tell us, is a follow-up letter to that. Um, I didn't quite find there's you can probably find the exact date of how much later this was but this was a time after Paul had written 1st Corinthians and as he wrote 2nd Corinthians it seems like some of the issues that he addressed in 1st Corinthians had been resolved not all of them there was still a tone of correction in 2nd Corinthians but his big thing that he was addressing was a new problem that was facing the church and it's a familiar problem that was facing a lot of the churches so Paul was well versed in this and that was the problem of the so-called Super apostles. Um, now, I was reading my commentaries and, and studying this, and one someone just said that Paul was addressing the problem of the super apostles, and I just thought that was like, is that a is that actually in the, like is that a term that they just made up to illustrate it? Um, but most tra- a lot of modern translations have that in uh, 2 Corinthians eleven five. Paul calls it, "I am not as like I am not as good as these super apostles." Um, kind of a hyperbolic note on saying that there was there were these people we were claiming to be apostles and claiming to be superior to others um, that were teaching and leading the church, specifically Paul. So Paul's leadership was being challenged. His his devotion to the church was being challenged. His devotion to the truth of God's word was being challenged. And um, Paul, as you might guess, did not take that lightly. Um, He was not the type of person to just roll over because... Uh, someone was challenging his leadership. Paul was a fighter. And that's somewhat of the tone that we encounter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, and, and often throughout this passage, he's going to refer to the old covenant versus the new covenant. Because um, he was challenging the church to live in light of the new covenant, the new covenant that was made available to us through Christ, through, through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. The new covenant is what we, the church, are living under. And these super apostles, as Paul called them, were kind of taking the church back to the old covenant, the old way of doing things. And we'll see that come up a lot in this passage. Um, So I I kind of broke this down into four different um, comparisons that Paul makes in this passage. Uh, And so the first comparison he makes comes in the first three verses of the passage, um, in verses one to three. And in those passages, um, I won't read all of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 3 this morning, but um, I'll just read some portions of it. And so he starts out this section by saying, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, those super apostles, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation. Um, Written on hearts to be known and read by all. So, Paul's leadership was being challenged. His authority, his reputation was being challenged. And Paul kind of, um, I kind of read it sarcastically. I don't know if that's exactly what he meant. Do I need to write another letter of recommendation to you? Do I need to remind you of everything that has been done? No. I don't need to write you another letter of recommendation that these, these super apostles want. You, the church, are my testimony to what has been happening. The church existing, the the, the testimonies of changed lives was proof enough. That doesn't just happen by accident. That happens by faithfulness, and that happens by someone surrendering to the call of Christ in their life and doing what he's called them to do. And so his proof, he wasn't going to write them a, a letter of recommendation from God, I guess, is maybe what they were asking for, but he he pointed out to them, you yourselves are the proof. What has been written on your hearts by the Spirit of God is the proof. That is the letter of recommendation. And then he compares that a little bit later on, and at the end of of these three verses he says, "Um, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's his first comparison that he makes between the new covenant and the old covenant. Uh, it's, he's, he's alluding very directly to the law that Moses received on Mount Sinai from the Lord, that the, the Ten Commandments written, etched, in tablets of stone for the people to remember. Um, he's saying that is not the letter of recommendation we need now. That is not the testimony we need now. The testimony we need now is that which is etched upon human hearts. It's taking something, the law, which was once external. It was something that you could point to. It was something that you could um, say, that is the law. That is God's word. And it's moving it from just the external, from putting it up on a pedestal to the internal. God's law, God's will, God's, the spirit of God has written this on our hearts. And so he's comparing those two things. Um, and, and throughout this passage, Paul is pointing out to the superiority of the new covenant because we don't have a new covenant that is written on stone tablets anymore, but we have a covenant that has been written on our very hearts. And that was the goal of the old covenant was to change hearts, but it was inadequate to do so. I mean, the Shema, um, which was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And, that, and after that, it says... <laughs> You are to write this on the doorposts, carry this with you, write this on your foreheads. This law, you need to remember it. And now, with the new covenant, it has been etched on our hearts. And so, as I read that, I see a challenge. I see a challenge to us, the church, is that we cannot let God's words, the new covenant, just be words on a page. We carry God's word around with us Not to just say, here is my relationship with God in this book, but to remind us that our relationship with God is is something that has changed our whole being. It is written on our very hearts. So don't let God's word sit on a shelf, but read it. Uh, Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a reason for that. We need to make God's word and, and take it from the page to our hearts. It doesn't mean that we're changing what God says. What God says is what God says, but we're internalizing it. We're, maybe that's memorizing it. Maybe that's reading it regularly to remind yourself of the truth. Um, but the ultimate thing is don't just leave it on the shelf. Don't do what the Old Testament Israelites did with the law, and they just left the law in the temple, and, and then they didn't follow it. God's commands to us are meant to be written on our hearts. They're meant to be followed. And so I see that challenge. But Paul continues. He doesn't stop there. Paul always likes to push us a little bit further. And so the next comparison I see um, comes in verses 4 to 6. And here's what he says. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our suffic- sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul draws a comparison of, of kind of a fear versus confidence here. In um, the Old Testament law, a lot of it... Um, a lot of it was interpreted in a way of fear. And, and the fear of the Lord is a very important part of, of Old Testament worship and, and practices. Approaching the presence of God in the Old Testament was one of the holiest and scariest moments for the priests. Because if you entered the presence of God with an unpure heart, that was not good for you. And so they had these rituals and they had these practices to cleanse And to make sure that they were in right standing before they entered the presence of God. And so this law that we see in the Old Testament. um, The law was was meant, as Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 3. The law was meant to show us our inability to approach God on our own. The law was meant to show us our trespasses. To show us how inadequate we are. The whole Old Testament, is, it shows people trying and trying and failing to live up to the law, to live up to what God's instructions are for us. And that's not to discourage us, but that's to show us how deep and, and how heavily our, our world and our lives is affected by sin. It's so much so that we cannot approach God with confidence we have to approach him with fear because we're inadequate. That's what the Old Testament law shows us. But Paul here says that we have confidence through Christ towards God. We can approach the throne with confidence because through the sacrifice of Christ, all of that that fear and that anxiety of, of approaching God is wiped away and it is replaced with a confidence and a knowledge that we can boldly approach the throne of God. Because we have the spirit of God within us who is sanctifying and purifying us. So we can, yes, thank you. Like, like that, is, that is the good news that he has here. And so the law, it brought death. It was, he calls it the letters, the, the ministry or the letters of death. But in the new covenant through Jesus, we have life. Jesus came and he fulfilled that. He fulfilled that un unattainable um, standard that we were trying and trying to reach. Jesus came. He filled that for us on our behalf. And so now, we are ministers of the new covenant. We are ministers of, the, of, the minister, of, of life and grace. That is what we live under. And so, a challenge that I see in there, and I think it's a, it's a subtle challenge, and it's a subtle challenge, problem that pervades churches everywhere is that of legalism. Um, Legalism is one of the easiest traps to fall into as a Christian because God gives us commandments. He gives us instructions. He gives us directions for our life. Sometimes, though, we use those instructions and those commandments and we add to them, maybe. We add to them to try to protect them, but we add to them and we create this standard that is unattainable. That's what happened with the law. Um, the amount of, of laws and, and traditions that were added to just the Old Testament, um, just the Torah itself, like the, the, the volumes of books that have been written throughout history about, of adding to these laws. Um, I, I remember a couple of years ago, Mike had an illustration where he brought book after book after book up on stage. Anybody remember that? And illustrating just how much has been added to the law That is legalism. That is um, lording over someone's life as a human and telling them, you must do all of these things to be saved. But we live in the ministry of life, the new covenant of grace, um, and so we need to remember that. We must remember how fallen we are, and we must remember that we are a work in progress. We're all works in progress. We're all at different stages of, of being made new. And if we expect everyone else to be at the same level as us, that's, I think that's when legalism starts to creep in. Um, and I think that's, just, that's a challenge for all of us. At whatever stage of life you're in is, is to show grace and to challenge people to continue to grow. That's a challenge for us. But again, Paul doesn't stop there passage continues, verses 7 to 11, we get another comparison, um, and that is the comparison of the fading glory of the Old Covenant versus the unending, unfading glory of the New Covenant. Um, And for this, this requires a little bit of explanation, but but Paul here illustrates that the law of Moses, um, it it was full of glory. Like... It is God's word, so it's, it, we're not diminishing what God said in, in the old covenant, what God's law was. I, I never want that to be the case. Jesus came to fulfill the not law, not to abolish it. Um, and so Paul acknowledges that the old law, it was glorious. In Exodus 34, if you go back and you read that passage, you kind of get an uh, example of just how glorious the law and the presence of God was. Where Moses, he was up on the mountain with the Lord, receiving the law. And when he came down and, and relayed the law to the people, his face was glowing. Like, literally, I, I don't know exactly what, how to picture that. I always kind of picture this weird radiation glowing happening on Moses' face. That's probably not what the case was. But, but Moses' face, it was, it sh- his face was shining such that it struck fear into the hearts of the people of Israel. And so while he was giving the law, he, they, they, like, they kind of were avoiding looking at him because it was so glorious that they couldn't even gaze upon it. And that, wasn't, that was just a shadow of a shadow of God's glory that they saw there. I mean, Moses himself, like, went to, to gaze upon the glory of the Lord, God hid him in the, in the rocks and said, when I tell you, you can look and you can gaze at my back. And he just barely saw the back of the Lord, and that was, that was almost too much. And then the people seeing Moses' reflection of that glory, that was almost too much for them. And so Moses had put a veil over his face when he was done speaking to, um, for a couple of reasons. There, there's actually a couple arguments about that in history. For one, there was the fear component where they were terrified of seeing that. And then the other hand, um, Jewish tradition kind of had that, Moses hid his face because that, that glory was fading. It wasn't a permanent glory. And so Moses hid his face to hide the fact that the glory of the Lord was fading. Because he didn't want the people of Israel to have to see the glory of the Lord leaving. Um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the best reading of it, but it's an interesting thought about that. And whatever the case is, is that that glory, no matter, like, it was amazing But in this passage, Paul says, that glory faded. That glory was inadequate. That glory was not the full, unfading glory of the Lord. So how much more glorious and amazing is the glory of the new covenant that has been established and will last forever? How much more glorious will that be for us? It is a glory that will never fade. It is a glory that will be permanent. That is our hope for the future, that the glory of the Lord will not fade in this new covenant. So we don't have that fear that 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 glory will fade, that that glory will will leave us, but we have confidence and the hope that that glory, once once Christ comes and establishes his kingdom, that glory will be made fully complete, and we will be able to enjoy that forever. That is an amazing hope for the future. And so, I think he says this because the super apostles were calling people to go back to the old way. They're saying, remember how glorious the old way was? Remember that glory that existed back then? Remember the laws and how that brought, <laughs> that brought the glory to us? They were, they, were, they were living in the past. They were living in the way that things used to be done, and they were neglecting to see that that old glory was nothing compared to the coming glory. So they were dwelling in the past and neglecting to see that amazing glory that was coming. And I think that's a challenge that we all face in our lives, just in general. It's much easier to live in the past and remember the good old days than to look forward to the future and what God has in store for us. Um, And so for graduates, this is kind of more a specific challenge for graduates. As you go out into your life. I don't forget your time here. Don't forget your time in high school and school and and all of the things that God has done. But don't just live in these days. Move on to what God has next because God has a plan and a purpose for our lives and we have a hope that that will, and we know and a confidence that that will be good and that will be where we want to be. And that's a, that's just a challenge for all of us: is to not get hung up on the past, but to move forward with confidence into the future, into that hope that we have. And so I really I really enjoy that that challenge. But Paul ends with one one final comparison for us in verses twelve to eighteen. And I'm just going to read this because I think this is a really important part of the passage. This is actually I was going to originally just preach from these verses. But then I'm like, I can't ignore all the rest of it. So um, there was a sermon at one point that was much more in-depth on just these verses. So if you could buckle in for the next 40 minutes, we'll be great. Just kidding. Um, verses 12 to 18, read this. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, that veil that Moses wore, Paul uses that here as an analogy, as a comparison between living under the Old Covenant and living under the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, we were living on, as if our faces were veiled. We couldn't fully see the glory of the Lord. We couldn't fully see the fullness of 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 his glory. We couldn't see the fullness of his plan. We couldn't see. We could only see a, a, a shadow of it. And so those super apostles who wanted to go back to the old way of doing things, they were putting the veil back over their faces. They're saying, this was the better way to do it, to see just a shadow of it. And so every time they read scripture, they are reading it through a veil. They're reading it Not fully. They can't can't see the full picture. And they're doing that to themselves. They're putting the veil back over their hearts, back over their eyes, so that they cannot see God's glory. They cannot see what God's word is telling them to do. And so, Paul is challenging them. He's saying, don't do that. Don't put the veil back over your faces. And this is why he says it in verses 16 to 18. This is so good, I want to read it again. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We don't have to live with our faces veiled anymore through the spirit that, that dwells within us, we can with confidence look fully into the glory of the Lord. We can see what he's doing. And so living with a veiled face, living, living with that, the, the blinders on, if you will, that, that's not what we have to do anymore. We can see fully. And, and when Jesus comes again, we're, we're gonna see even more. We can do that with confidence. That glory is available to us. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's is freedom. And, and so now, with unveiled faces, we can boldly approach the Lord. And, and better yet, this is, this is where I think the real challenge is. The, the reason for that, that we need to remove the veil, is that when we do so, we, and when we take part in that which is available to us, we are being transformed. Our lives are being changed from one degree of glory to another. That's sanctification. That is being made holy. That is being transformed into the image of Christ. Day after day, when we remove the veil, that is available to us to be changed, to be made new constantly from one degree of glory to another. I mean, if you think about it this way, when Moses was just in the presence of the Lord for a little bit, his face was glowing, right? And then that glory faded. And and he just, but he just saw a shadow of it. We now can boldly approach that glory and that glory is available to us. So how much more so when we remove that veil will we be transformed and our lives changed and then be a reflection of the glory of the Lord for others around us to see? That's Paul's challenge to us. That's his challenge to the Corinthian church. Don't live as though the old covenant is is still what reigns. Live in light of the new covenant, the the covenant that is made available to us that allows us to boldly approach God because we will be transformed daily, continually more and more into the image and glory of the Lord. Um, And that, that... that is what our lives should be about. We know that we're not perfect. We know that sometimes we choose to maybe live with the veil over our eyes. We know that sometimes uh, we choose to live under the, the power and temptation of sin. And, and we, we know that although we have, have been justified and we're being sanctified, we're not yet perfect. We won't be until Christ comes again. But that's why daily... Daily, we need to remove the veil from our hearts. And we need to be transformed by God's word, by by our relationship with him, by seeing what he has for us. And and daily, we will take steps closer, degrees closer to living in the fullness of that that image of Christ. Um, So I think that's a challenge for all of us. No matter where you're at this morning, we have this confidence that we are being made new constantly. Um, so if we make mistakes, that's okay. You know, it, like, I, I want you to know that. It's okay to make mistakes. We're, still not, we're not perfect. But, but just daily surrender yourself to the, to the glory and the power of the Lord. That's my challenge for you. And, and, and so on this graduation Sunday, I hope... You graduates specifically were able to take some challenges from God's Word um, and continue to read this. Take it into your heart. And for everyone else this morning, I hope you're able to just be challenged as well in your walk with the Lord. Um, this journey of, of discipleship, of, of being made like Christ of sanctification is a long journey. has its ups and downs, its hills and valleys, but through it all, we have confidence that we have that relationship with the Lord to lean on and rely on to help us in all of it. That's my hope this morning. Um let's pray.